Welcome to Making Mixtapes. My name is Tom, and in this episode, we chat about building a Twitter audience, communities, and selling your work through NFTs. Jack Butcher is the founder of Visualize Value, which originally started as a productized design service for startups and quickly turned into so much more. Through Visualize Value, Jack has built a community of nearly 3,000 builders, entrepreneurs, and founders, providing them with principle-based courses that teach them the foundations of design, building audiences, and so much more. Here, we talk about how Jack grew his audience from 5,000 to over 110,000 followers on Twitter in roughly 12 months, what he learned from running a design agency, and how he sold his work in the form of NFTs for the Ethereum equivalent of, I think it's around $10,000. This is a great episode for anyone wanting to learn about the principles behind building in public or curious about the opportunity that NFTs do provide. I had a couple of technical difficulties after recording, so the quality isn't as good as it always is, but the value of the conversation is absolutely stellar. So do enjoy. Cool, man. So I've been following your work for a while and I do want to kind of cover how ridiculous your audience growth has been over the last year, but I thought a good place to start for listeners who might not have heard of you. Could you tell us a little bit about what Visualize Value is and what kind of led you to building it in the first place? Sure. So Visualize Value, I still struggle with the definition of it, honestly, but (laughs) I've been working as a designer for upwards of 10 years now and visualize value is kind of the the place i've landed or the thing that represents everything i love about design started my agency career worked for a bunch of commercial clients big small little agency big agency and then started my own agency and that was chaos i mean we can get into that if you're interested in that story but the visualized value idea was really born from necessity. So just out of like a bunch of iterations of what do I want to, what type of work do I want to be doing and how can I build something that attracts the type of people that need or are interested in that type of work. So it really began as just like a lead magnet for design and consulting clients. And then the feedback that I got as I was publishing just open my eyes to all these other different possibilities. So now it's, you know, it's not only a design and consulting service. We have education products. We have a community product. We've built like decent sized audiences on social platforms. And um, yeah, there's, there's a ton of potential for it. Honestly, I I struggle to describe the direction it's even going to take because I think it has this malleability to it, but the core of it is, you know, using design to increase the velocity of good ideas or help people understand things a little bit uh, more simply. Yeah, that sounds like a good way of putting it. And I, I noticed you've really gone all in on digital products. Do you still do consulting services through Visualize Value? Because you, you just said that, you know, agency life was a bit hectic and that's a whole different box of frogs, right? Is it still something you do with VV? So in a way, I think I've been... I think I've sort of changed the parameters of what type of engagements worth going all into that aren't like scalable in inverted commas. So working with people on books, for example, or getting equity in a project that's going to scale or 
working with a very special startup that maybe needs some materials to explain the core technology that's gonna you know that has legs for a long long time so yeah. I, I wouldn't rule anything out like any interesting project definitely um will consider but i think over time i've gotten a little bit better at identifying what is worth doing the unscalable stuff for what interests me most like that, that's kind of the the number one question is like, is this interesting to me? Am I going to like selfishly, am I going to learn something from working yeah. with this person? And uh, that has kind of flipped the equation a little bit from where it started, which was basically anybody that needs help. I will, you know, I'll jump in and, and get stuck in. Yeah. Cause isn't that how visualize value got its name in the first place? Like one of those services you just mentioned, literally visualizing a value proposition. Right. Exactly right. So, yeah, I think um, I think that was on the first slide of so my agency was called opponent. And this was like yeah. a, basically just how we pitched one of the services that we wanted to spend more time on. I'd realized over time that like traditional agency services, we couldn't really compete with like on the video production side, for example. So it was me yeah. in a bedroom in Brooklyn up against like agencies that have you know, production teams, dozens and dozens of people. And I'd identified over time that the one thing that seemed to be getting me these opportunities that I had no business getting was the pitch documentation or the way I'd sort of crafted the narrative to the brand in the first place. That was the valuable yeah. thing. And then that <laughs> thing, it just gets thrown out the door, right? And then you just go in and do some commoditized like yeah. video production stuff. So realizing that, and getting feedback from people that are just like had seen some of that stuff yeah. that weren't in that world. So I think people seeing like the level of detail and care that went into like pitching this work in like from corporate to corporate, like mm -hmm. a small business sees that and they're like, wow, that's like an incredible piece of material. That'd be huge in our sales process. <laughs> so like a couple of my close friends run small businesses and I was like, Oh, I'll help you make something. And that was like a, a bit of a light bulb moment where I was like, this could be the service. This could be the thing as opposed to the thing that tries to win you work. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost as if the sales collateral became the product, right? Right. Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing, man. Awesome. I, I don't want to dwell on your agency life too much. Uh, I think the reason I am is because I run an agency myself. I personally have a lot of fun doing it at the moment, but I think it's because I have managed to productize things. But you mentioned how kind of crazy running opponent was. Is there anything from like those tougher times that you've carried with you into Visualize Value in terms of like how you do the work or even like lessons that you've bought from that period? Yeah, I don't want to like trash the agency business model. It's more of a like a misfit of my my personal preferences. Like I'm not a great I don't love managing people and like to get agencies to scale, like you need you need a team of people, you need processes, yeah. you need all this stuff. And I, I've done a few iterations of it, but a couple of the things I think it taught me, one was just like the audacity of some of the things that I pitched early on and the jobs that I was awarded yeah. just taught me like the malleability of things. So there's something really bizarre about, a company will trust you with as Jack Butcher versus opponent.com, you know, like yeah. it's a completely different conversation. So I think that that idea of building up a 
brand and having, especially to build relationships with like companies that international scale that trade on stock exchanges and stuff. They're just not going to do business with me. So I think the idea that that brand like gave me some reputational leverage, I think that's a lesson that's just carried into like doing like what visualized value is on a daily basis. And then more tactically, I think the specificity of the work that actually won me new work when I was working on opponent was like, uh, was another lesson of like, Hey, I don't need to be offering up 25 different services as an agency Mm -hmm. here. And like going from working within an agency where the opportunity comes to you and you just get told what to do to being in the world and just like, you have to go and seek it out. Yeah. I think the narrowness of the stuff that resonated was definitely like a wake up call as well. It's like, if you can just find something that you love doing, you don't need to have this like agency services page with like nine <laughs> lists of things that you do. Right. Yeah. And I, and I always had approached, I mean, I could probably pull up a slide now of like the opponent, our services slide. And it's just lists of stuff where it's just like <laughs> and half of the stuff would be like, I, I don't have, I don't have that specific skill, but maybe there's someone in my network or someone I could find that could do it. Yeah. So yeah, less is more. I guess I learned that from uh, doing more and uh, getting less at the end. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting you say that the opponent brand kind of carried you to, well, attracting the types of clients that you wanted to work with at the time, because it seems like visualized value is a bit of a beast of its own. Do you, you know, attract any Fortune 500, 5,000 clients now through the visualized value brand? Yeah, there's been a few conversations. Fortune 10, maybe, in the last <laughs> couple of no way. months. And it's cool, like it's still seductive right, to have those yeah. conversations. But as soon as you get into the loop of like, oh, let me, my assistant's going to reach out to you to schedule a time. And then you need all these contracts to be signed before we have oh, a stuff. It's just like- The red tape, yeah. Forget it, man. Like, I'm not, <laughs> like, I'm not interested in it. And But you still have the, I don't know whether that's some like subconscious conditioning. It was like, this is a huge opportunity. This could be massive. But then, yeah. uh, you know, if you're willing to endure nine months of administrative uh, <laughs> carnage, maybe you could get something to market. But- I don't see that in the immediate future of uh, yeah. visualized value for sure. It's like how many iterations of an agreement are you willing to endure? Like how many how many lines of red can you see on those terms of services before you go crazy? <laughs> yeah, and I think there's like maybe there are exceptions to the rule where there's like some things that if you wanted to do them, that's the only way you'd be able to do them because like the the idea that comes to my mind for some reason is the F one. Like if you wanted to do yeah. something with like a massive franchise that there is no way in without that and it's Mm. like something that you really care about then you would endure it but if it's just to like you know do an ad for a big like enterprise software company yeah yeah, not no no thanks no thanks fair play man cool let's move on to kind of like well i i guess how i came to discover you which was from twitter and I I made a note early on about like your audience size because I had a feeling that you were going to increase in popularity, you and Visualize Value in general. And I think when I first started following you last year, you had like 5,000 followers on Twitter and now it's something ridiculous like 110K. And 
rather than kind of dwelling on the numbers, I'd love to just kind of explore your philosophy to audience building on social and Twitter in general, because I know it's something that a lot of my listeners are very passionate about, but you seem to have kind of found your format, a very imitable format. And I, I'm kind of wondering, I guess my first question would be, was there a tipping point? And if there was a tipping point, did it take like a specific form that you rode to where you are today? It's interesting. I try and like look back retrospectively at the Twitter journey. The beginning was definitely visualized value, working specifically with ideas that were connected to people who had large Twitter accounts was obviously a massive thing. And this is maybe a tactic that now is so popularized and common that the noise is just too crazy it's kind of like when you you know buying facebook ads in 2014 or whatever it was it was like there's arbitrage opportunity there maybe now it's not doesn't exist the The law of shitty (laughs) click-throughs right right (laughs) and so that was originally the idea where i'd basically come back to twitter for the first time in 10 years i had set up an account i think when i was at school and it was just like nonsense going back and forth (laughs) yeah 300 tweets of just pure nothingness eating a ham sandwich yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) and then uh i just for whatever reason somebody sent me tweet storm or something i really Mm -hmm. should figure out how i got back onto twitter but then uh it kind of clicked the distribution mechanism for content on twitter is so different than i was trying to grow opponent on facebook which is like organically which has like 85% 85% of the people I'm connected to on Facebook have no idea what an agency is. I've no <laughs> need for agency services. Like I went to school with them or I grew yeah. up around them. Or so it was like kind of a strange, I think the expectation was strange that I was going to scale anything meaningful in that like, they're not closed networks on Facebook, but it definitely doesn't have the same dynamic as Twitter, right? Where there's more of a meritocracy in content if you can like start to get some traction that thing can really go viral to the to a a way more aggressive extent than than a facebook so yeah started posting the images over there tagging the people that had coined the ideas originally even a like from an account that has seven hundred thousand followers is putting a thousand more eyeballs on Mm. every post and then uh yeah, I think the consistency and the visual played into that. So you give something people to expect and there's like this imprint happening where it's like people start to recognize the constraint that you've applied. Yeah. So I think that, again, this is anecdotal. I don't have any proof for this, but that's my gut is mm. people start to recognize it. You see one and you're like, oh, that's an interesting way to interpret this. I'm going to follow that account as opposed yeah. to seeing a... V- I think there's this, there's a there's like a real nuanced idea here where what's the difference between someone deciding to like like or amplify something versus follow something mm, and it's like yeah. I think what's implied with visualized value is like this is you're going to keep getting these you know mm. it's not like it's not like an account that writes like there's a like funny joke that gets 200,000 likes and then that account yeah. just disappears into the ether again. It's like, this stands for something. It's going to, we're going to keep publishing stuff like this. Mm. So I think that, that helped. And then I just started borrowing the visualized value traffic to grow my personal account too. So yeah. the idea was let's start a feedback loop where ideas that I want to visualize, I'll write and then I'll 
retweet those to the visualized value audience, they get some traction and they're worth visualizing. So you have this like little flywheel going on. And then one other thing I would say was a big catalyst was when I started to develop the products, just being incredibly transparent about what was going on there. So building in public, right? Yeah. Yeah. What, what the, what the material was going to be inside that, how the pre-sales looked all of like every, just laying everything out. And I, again, I think that behavior has become very commonplace at this point. So maybe there was a, like a vacuum that Mm. was sucking interest in. I don't think those things get the same reception as they do before. And I think the way your account is viewed at different sizes is also really changes the context of what you're posting. So I think the, you know, the, the climb up to a certain size, some of the like editorial direction was more appropriate then than it is now. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. It's, it's fascinating that you say you were kind of filling a vacuum because I think that's what uh, stood out about your content the most back then. It was like really minimalist, clean visual content that wasn't really seen on Twitter. And now I see a retweet from something. It's like, uh, someone's been following Jack. It's like, yeah, it's become quite a, a more common format. And another thing that you mentioned, and I think you've talked about this in the past is influencing up. So, you know, you visualized a quote from Navar Ravikant, for example, but now by the sounds of it, it's so commonplace that it seems inauthentic. It's like, okay, these people are repeating this tactic. Do you still think that there's a place for that kind of activity? And if so, like, how would you go about doing it? Yeah, I think it comes down to intent. I think like if you're doing it as a like growth hack and like (laughs) that person has been exposed to that thing dozens and dozens and dozens of times, there's like no new value in it for them, right? Why would they amplify something that people have been doing for 12, 18 months? And then I think the, the intention just gets a little diluted. Like I was doing this originally for just like scratching a creative itch. And I didn't, I didn't even really understand that people in Naval's position were checking their Twitter accounts. I honestly had no clue. I thought the same idea of, um, you know, like a fan page on, on Facebook. Yeah. Like nobody who's like, no, you know, person of influence is like checking their notifications on their Facebook fan page. And I didn't really (laughs) click that Twitter is just a completely different animal where like, you know, it's very direct, right? Yeah. People wake up and check their notifications. Like, yeah. you know, market moving individuals are addicted to Twitter. So that's <laughs> like a completely different, that opens up a completely different set of opportunities. And uh, yeah, I think the novelty of it propelled it to begin with. And yeah. like, it's really fascinating how fast novelty wears off. It's mm, like, oh, now, now it's a grind. Like it's uh, <laughs> like, it's very linear after a certain point. Like, yeah. It feels like um, I'm not an epi- epidemiologist, is that how you say it? But like the the way in which like content spreads is almost similar to a virus, right? You have this yeah. like this like trajectory of it where it's like really viral to begin with when it's novelty, and then it just starts to slow down, and it becomes more of a like it's more like embedded in the culture at a certain point, and it's just like moving more linearly. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting when you're starting out and you're like, oh my God, if this growth continues, you're going to have 
like 100 million followers in a year. But the reality <laughs> is there's only a certain sliver of whatever population that is interested in this. And yeah. the it seems to me at least, I, maybe I hope I'm wrong, that um, I don't know. It's very hard to it's very hard to understand the scale of the internet too. It's hard, like <laughs> how much further can something run when you start to see you yourself getting on like a linear trajectory? It does feel like this has reached like almost every relevant corner of the internet that it's going to reach, and now you're on like a you're on more of a steady growth. Yeah. Is that, is that where you feel that you're at now, that kind of steady? I think so. Yeah, I think like my creative challenge now is like, what is the next version of Visualize Value where <laughs> someone opens their Twitter account? They're like, what the hell is this? Yeah. You know, like that's the, that's the idea. Or that's the ambition. I think it would, it would be, you know, we could stay on the same trajectory, just sticking to the same stuff. But mm. there's like some creative fatigue in doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. And I think the idea is big enough to hold a lot of different executions, right? There's, mm. there's, if your objective is to make complicated things simple, then you have a lot of creative agency within yeah. that like remit to, to do interesting stuff. So it's like having a broad goal and then just pointing that goal in any direction and seeing what happens. Right. Yeah. And like sort of listening to your own creative impulses and being like, there really is some, layer of resonance that gets unlocked when you are truly excited and curious and not doing something for the sake of getting a retweet from person x right and it sounds cliche but it's absolutely true it's like when you write something that just pops in your head and just like i gotta share that it will do a hundred times better than this really calculated like (laughs) let me you know let me like swap out every word and look at this thesaurus for this, this, and this. I think yeah. it's one of the reasons why you see platforms like TikTok just explode. Yeah. Because yeah. the because there's just so little friction between I guess like who someone actually is or like them expressing themselves like in a multiple senses yeah. and uh the people that are watching it. So I think that like again, cliche, it's like the authenticity translates into not just like what you're saying and how you present yourself, but the stuff you're making too. Mm. People can tell if it is this contrived, like tactical attempt to manipulate somebody into doing something versus oh, this person's having a good time. I want to like yes. have that as part of my experience on a daily basis. It's like going to the club. The guy who's just amusing himself seems to naturally get more attention than the dude who's trying to say the right thing to the girls, right? <laughs> and it's interesting to use TikTok as an analogy, right? Because, again, using that cliche word authenticity, when an emerging platform like TikTok comes out or Clubhouse, no one's written the definitive guide to TikTok. Everyone is fair game. No one's set up the rules. And I guess perhaps it's about also taking that approach to platforms that have embedded themselves into the yeah i think that's a great point that's a great point and like i didn't do that intentionally with visualized value now but the efficacy of people that are emulating that tactic is just nowhere near what that was originally because it's already in the consciousness right so i think your upside is way higher in trying new things experimenting with new things like come up with some new paradigm new idea that 
six months down the road, there's a thousand accounts copying you. That's the objective. Right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You, I think a second ago, you used the word grind to kind of describe, you know, you've kind of found your formula, I guess. How do you kind of keep the enjoyment going when it starts to feel like that? Yeah, I think there's like, grind may be a harsh word, but it's definitely the like, if it's not broken, don't fix it thing, yeah. right? Like there's, there's way more legs in something than maybe your like monkey brain tells you there is sometimes. <laughs> so I do genuinely still love sitting down with a, like the black canvas and like go through ideas and see what resonates. But there's, um, it's also like a nagging thing sometimes where it's like, man, if I was just doing this like two or two twice a day or three times a day, like yeah. this would be, if I was mechanizing this a bit more um, religiously, I was just being much more like disciplined <laughs> about it. It's a hard balance to make because like to the last discussion we're having, it's like people can tell if this is this forced thing versus exactly. this thing you love yeah. doing. And I think that's it. It's like, where is the line between giving people what they've already told you they want and it's working and it's resonating and then like scratching your own creative itch and trying new stuff. And people will like at a certain scale will be like feel cheated by the fact that you've changed the style or you've done something different, right? I, the analogy I like to use. The band Linkin Park comes to mind. Exactly fans, right. Man. Exactly right. <laughs> Cutthroat. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, uh, that's, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's like your second album or your third album is like, oh, wow, you know, you've got all these people interested in your work with this style. How could you possibly betray them and do something different? <laughs> betray, such a harsh word. That's how yeah, they feel, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I know. Like they want you to make the same album 10 times because yeah. they love it so much, right? So it's interesting. I think it all comes down to though, like what, um, what you can personally sustain because, you know, otherwise you're, you're toast either way. Yeah, 100%, man. 100%. That's why, like, I was concerned this podcast would one day become a marketing tool for my agency. And while it is associated, like the premise for it is just talking to people I find interesting. And I want to keep that going as long as possible because people will tell when it's not interesting. And again, it comes down to that authenticity thing. I want to talk to you about like your community and how you've built that. But one thing, I've got three letters written down here, NFT. <laughs> I noticed that I had a quick like look at the foundation app and see that you've sold your work for like five ETH recently, which for listeners who aren't aware, time of recording, it's like 10K or something like that, right? My, I've got two questions. The first one's like, how the fuck have you done it? And I guess like, why did you decide to, yeah, jump on the, I don't want to say jump on the bandwagon, but there was clearly an opportunity there, right? Yeah, there's, it's been quite unbelievable. The response to it what's fascinating is this is like a technology and a moment in time that hasn't existed for something like visualized value so creators and i have like we could have a whole nother podcast debating the term creator because i think it's like i don't know I, i'm not that bought into it but regardless the idea that visualized value the product on the front end, like the visuals that I'm creating on Twitter and Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. I never had the expectation that I could monetize those directly. I think that that's like strange, right? It's like yeah. you make these things as 
ways to tell people about something else. But the real valuable thing in my mind is the content that is attractive in the first place. Mm. So I think what the NFT market is doing for people who are creating, you know, creating things or creating art that people love to consume is it does create this very direct opportunity to get paid for making the thing as opposed yeah. to, you know, you don't have to be a marketing genius and make this thing that then goes down a funnel and leads you to this other product. And then you get on the phone and there's like some sales process happening. So it shifts the priorities of the creator. And again, it's so early and, and like bubbly and frothy at the moment that we don't <laughs> know how it's all going to shake out. Yeah. But I think in, in an ideal world, the way it would shake out is like people could just spend their time making art and get paid for that art as opposed mm. to, you know, posting a hundred pictures. So a fortune 500 company will come and give you a commission to do a billboard on yeah. some sugar water or something, right? Like that. I don't think any artist wants to spend their time that way, but that's just the commercial reality of like making your way as an artist. So the other interesting dynamic is you have this community of people that bought crypto or have been invested in the crypto space for a decade at this point. And they're in such a different economic reality from, you know, 99.99999% of the planet. Yeah. And they're invested in the space. They want to see the space grow. It's a, this is maybe a cynical way to look at it, but it's a marketing expense for the, the cryptocurrency community to fund art. Mm. And I think as a percentage of people's net worth, what they're investing in this stuff, like it sounds ridiculous when you talk about it in, you know, USD or GBP, whatever else, yeah. but it's a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the holdings of some of these people and their collections are enormous. I think, um, Yes. When you start to understand it and get into the community and the people I've met through the world of like crypto art, NFTs, all of that stuff are so incredibly generous and invested in like the growth of the space in all different ways. So they want artists to succeed. They want people to come in and design new things for like, I think these, what's getting missed is like, there is this transition to like a new way of thinking a new way of like, like all these new economic constructs that are just so hard to see from the outside that it just looks obscene. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll see how it shakes out, but it's very interesting and like super attractive to me for all of those reasons I described. It's like making things that again, don't have to be the other interesting dynamic is it doesn't have to be displayed in a private gallery somewhere either. You can put it on, everybody can see it. And then somebody just wants the, you know, the token of ownership of that piece of work and it can still go out into the world. And there's a, a good example of that is somebody bought that, um, that piece from yesterday and Balaji, I don't know how deep into crypto you are. There's a guy called Balaji just used it in a newsletter they sent out this morning, which is just no like way. a, just an interesting way to think about it. Right. Like traditionally, actually maybe not like traditionally speaking, if somebody sold a painting at Sotheby's or whatever, you would go yeah. and put that in a newspaper or whatever else. But I think this like digital art does offer a lot of different, a lot of different ways to experience it as well. The guy that bought that Beeple thing yeah. for 69 million had a commissioned an architect to build a museum in VR 
and he's displayed the work in that thing and anybody Amazing. can like throw your headset on and go and, and view it. I think what being immersed in that world for the last couple of months has taught me is like these guys are just like on a different level, like how yeah. invested they are in, in changing the way things are done. So it's an exciting world, man. Yeah. I mean, it certainly looks like it. And it sounds like from what you just said, it's kind of tearing down the cultural boundaries, the cultural barriers in the art world as well. Like, I reckon at some point, if it does have legs in the long term, it's going to get a lot more people into art. It's going to be like this completely other thing, democratizing another aspect of the internet, as it were. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I totally agree. I mean, you're seeing like Sotheby's and Christie's and all these guys are like, scrambling to get involved in this space and like auctioning work of some of the most renowned artists and there are some like incredible crafts people in this space like Beeple is a great example of like yeah the guy's been grinding it out for 15 years every day he's posted something for 15 years it doesn't sound that I've seen if you if you look at it that way and you understand like how much wealth has been amassed in the crypto space in the last couple of decades. It's not that totally. ridiculous. And the reason it's going up is because uh, more and more people are placing value in it and believing in it, right? Yeah, I think the, the, like the bigger idea here is um, in the last year or so, since what was it, March of last year, when everything went online, like mm. you get people getting married online, they're going <laughs> to like court appearances online, like pe- your identity used to be a year ago it's like your online identity was kind of the auxiliary identity and i think over the last year that's just completely flipped right like who you are on the internet is who you are at this point (laughs) and that paired with like the millennia old human incentives of like status and like the things i care about are things i want to display and talk about and be invested in is driving this behavior too it's like yeah spend a day on twitter looking at like people who collect NFT art, they will shout from the rooftops. I just collected this piece. I've got this piece. Here's my collection. It's like people are proud of backing that stuff. So uh, I think we'll just see that behavior across everything. You know, like I think people 10 years younger than me or five years younger than me have just like almost grown up in an entirely different world. Like Mm, what we're experiencing now, like they, it's completely native. It's normal. Native. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good way of putting it. And the way that you've just kind of described how things are switching and flipping on its head, it reminds me of a concept. I don't know if you've heard of Jason Silver, but he talks about this concept called, yeah, ontological design. You know, the things that we design are designing us back. And now it's the internet doing that with us. Like you mentioned, you know, we're getting married on the internet. It's be- so I, I find the whole thing fascinating. It is, man. I, Jason Silver, that's the name I haven't heard in a long time, but I remember a few videos I watched of his. I was fascinated with his stuff. I need to get oh, back into his stuff. Yeah, his stuff's still pretty good. Yeah, I think it was um, Existential Bummer is the one that did the rounds a few years ago. He got him on the map. Yeah, I think I remember one with an iPhone. He's holding an iPhone in a park or something, and he's talking about something. I'll have yeah. to look it up, but you're smart yeah. dude. Yeah, man. Maybe someone to get on your office hours at some point. That would be badass, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome, man. Speaking of office hours, I've got kind of... I had a couple of questions about your community, actually, because I've made a quite a few friends there. But instead of kind of getting into the whole how did you build an audience and all that good stuff, and I'm sure you've covered it before, like, what are your plans for the Visualize Value community? Where do you want to take it? And I guess to wrap things up, what are you most jazzed about right now? What, like... 
the plans that you have? So the community question, I think what's taken me a year to realize, and you just confirmed it, is the real value is the cross networking within the community. Like you can put on events and you can like post videos and it's very like you have to attract people with something like that, right? Like you're going to come in and there's going to be a thousand videos for you to watch. But in reality, most people aren't going to come in and watch like a hundred hours of archive content. What's really valuable is, especially with all the themes that we've talked about, it's like, I don't, maybe I don't have a lot of technology people in my network, but I'm really interested in technology. Or maybe I'm a designer and I really want to work in crypto, but I don't know any developers that have like that interest or that ability. So what I'm starting to realize is visualized value just aggregates a certain type of person, right? It's like everybody that coalesces around this idea values similar things, right? Whether it's like technology or entrepreneurship or self-organization, whatever you want to call it, Mm. there's this filter that just brings people together that already have like quite a lot in common, but then there's loads of nuance underneath that, like where they are or the specific experience they have, or like everybody is a very individual underneath that banner. Yeah. So the real utility and value I think is better connecting people within that community. And there's, there's so many people I haven't like, haven't really thought this through that much, but it's been <laughs> recurring in, in the back of my mind recently. There's so many people getting into this like online education, like go through this course, do this 12 week mm-hmm. thing. And I think what I'm starting to realize is like, what's more useful maybe is like, here are these principles, like you use them as you see fit. And then here's a network of people that also value these principles. Go Amazing. crazy. Like, and I've backed off a little bit of the like dogmatic education stuff. Uh, the stuff that we produce was never like tactical to the mm. degree that I think a lot of other stuff is, because I think that's like, it doesn't really serve people anymore because of the, you know, the direction we're going, the way the internet is shaking out. It's like, you are really going to get the most return from this by being yourself yes, and 100%. just making connections with people that are going to, you know, help you discover other things or lead you down different like paths of curiosity. So that's the focus in the community now is like, how do we just get people connected to one another? Like the community actually, I think the real measure of it is like, how well does it function if I do nothing? <laughs> yeah. That's a community. Otherwise it's just a broadcast. Like, you know, Twitter is not necessarily a community, right? It's just like a, here's a speaker phone and I'm just shouting out. <laughs> Can you engage with people underneath? Yeah. But it's not really an environment where people will connect with one another around that so just trying to build an environment that encourages that and then the, your next question was what's exciting correct yeah yeah what are you just about at the moment like what's in the the pipeline for you i guess so i think the the world of nfts i've been like into crypto and the ideas that have surrounded crypto for the last like i don't know five years or something and they haven't been part of my work really but now i'm just starting to dive into that world make connections in that world and i think there's like a huge there's huge parallels with one the content the visualized value is like aggregated and the mission that it's on and this thing is so unbelievably complicated but necessary and i think there's a lot of people that don't understand it and would get a ton of value from it if they did understand it so just at like a super high level 
all of the themes around decentralization, cryptocurrency, like these decentralized organizations or decentralized communities. That's really what visualized value is. So honestly, brushing up, studying up on that stuff and seeing how I can also be a contributor to that community at large. Because I think there's a huge hole in that world when it comes to accessibility, whether it's information or tools. There's, there's, there are a few great examples. I think foundation is a good example of like a platform that made this NFT thing extremely accessible to, you know, anybody really like it's a four click process to list uh, an NFT. Whereas before you have platforms like OpenSea and these like very techy niche, like crypto native platforms, yeah. which most people would just go on and be like, I have no idea what I'm looking at. <laughs> so I, I just see a huge amount of opportunity in like, bringing good design and good communication into those worlds. And that's going to be like a focus for the foreseeable future, I think. Amazing. Yeah. I'm not surprised to hear that at all based on your, uh, your recent activity as it were. Cool, man. Listen, this has been a really fun chat. Where can people learn more about you? I think Twitter is the best place. So Jack Butcher at Jack Butcher and at Visualize Value. And then uh, you should be able to click off into various different areas from there based on your interests and then maybe we'll see you somewhere <laughs> Whatever your uh, tastes are. in the universe in the <laughs> universe somewhere the twitter rabbit hole indeed awesome jack thank you so much man appreciate it thank you it was great thanks for listening before you dash just a quick note to share a free ebook we just published called the content operations playbook if you're interested in content marketing and SEO, then this ebook is for you. We lift the hood up on our own editorial and content production processes from hiring writers, creating solid content briefs, polishing content to be the best it can be, and of course, distributing it to actually generate traffic. It's totally free and you can download it over at grizzle.io forward slash content ops. That's www.grizzle.io forward slash content ops. And hey, if you enjoy this podcast, feel free to subscribe. We've got a lot of great conversations lined up with experts in the world of business, marketing, and entrepreneurship coming up. Thanks again.